Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show Podcast. I'm in Brandon, Manitoba, but other things happening than the Briar. For instance, Winnipeg Jets taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tuesday night, we'll check in with the Lightning Insider about just how good this Lightning team is this season. And also, the passing of the late, great Ted Lindsay. Kelly Moore in conversation with former Windsor Star hockey writer Bob Duff, who wrote a biography on Ted Lindsay. And if you missed it, I finished my ring journey. Yes, I've done. And I'll share what I've learned along the way on the podcast. Winnipeg Jets are in Tampa Bay tomorrow to take on the Lightning. And that's going to be a tough task. Now, we remember the game they played earlier this year in December. People that aren't affiliated with either team watched that game and said, oh, my God, this is the best game I've seen in a long time. And it was amazing, absolutely amazing. So we're going to get that tomorrow night. We'll find out soon. But joining me now to talk about the game and how the Lightning have just done so well this season is Eric Erlinson, lightninginsider.com. Uh, Eric, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for your time tonight. Hey, my pleasure, Christian. How are you? Doing well. Uh, is Going into this season, was the expectation that this Tampa Bay Lightning team would be a juggernaut in the NHL? Well, I don't know if you can classify any team as being a juggernaut the way that they've played this season. I mean, it's just not supposed to happen in the salary cap era. Uh, in the age of parity that the NHL has, to have one team that's head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, we're sitting here on, on March the 4th, and, you know, they could clinch a playoff spot this week, and they're 17 points ahead of their closest division team, and they're 15 points ahead of their closest team in the league standings. I mean, we knew that this team was going to be good. We knew after having been so close here the last uh, four years with two conference final and the Stanley Cup final that, that they kind of felt that they're, on a mission this year, but I don't think anybody could have predicted that their season would have uh, went as well as they have. I mean, you know, tying the NHL record for fastest to 50 games, matching that 95-96 Red Wings team. I mean, uh, there's no way you could have predicted this type of a season. No. But this is a, a team that has been close before. They've been to a number of East Finals. They made the Cup Final in 2015. A lot of players still left over from that uh, that run. Is this possibly a case of, you know, they say you got to lose before you win. They've done the losing, and now it's time for this team to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, that's that's sort of the attitude that's been there since, uh, since the start of training camp, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, they do have 11 players still on this roster from that team in 2015, and, you know, they've added a Ryan McDonough, and they've added a JT Miller. they got some young kids contributing this year, and Anthony Sorelli and Matthew Joseph and Adam Ernie's a big part of the roster this year. Uh, and and I, think, I think they felt last year – was probably a really good chance. They really felt good about the group, especially after the trade at the deadline to bring in McDonough and Miller from the Rangers. They felt that they had a group good enough to win it. And, you know, when you're up 3-2 in the conference final uh, with game seven on home ice, you like your chances there and just weren't able to close the deal. And I think having lost that series last year has been the fuel to their season. Their consistency has been unbelievable this year. They've only lost back-to-back games in regulation once, and they've only lost back-to-back games of any fashion twice all year long. And those regulation losses that they suffered took place back in November. And since then, they've just been, you know, they went through a 15-0-1 stretch and they nearly went the entire month of February without a regulation loss before falling to Boston uh, on the 28th of February. So uh, consistency and, and, the, and the fact that they lost last year's 
conference final. And the manner that they did, I think, has really fueled a lot of what they've uh, tried to accomplish this year. Do you think the fact that they're in Tampa Bay is maybe clouding how good they really are, that maybe they're not getting the attention that they would if this exact team was playing in a place like Chicago or Boston or a bigger market? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Uh, You know, they've had a lot of national games this year. They were actually all three games uh, during the week last week were actually on NBC here in the States. Uh, So they've kind of gotten some of that notoriety. What I find, you know, there's all of a sudden there's this uh, conversation that's come up that Nikita Kucherov, who leads the league in scoring, has led the league in scoring since the end of December. Maybe he doesn't deserve the MVP because because he's on too good of a team. And I feel if, if this, if this was a situation in a different market, that people would be all over Nikita Kucherov and the way he's played this year, and he'd be the absolute MVP. I think he's still going to win it. But the fact that there's a thought process out there that a guy like him can't win the MVP because his team is too good, I don't know if that would be the case if people looked at this team if it was in Toronto or, or Chicago or Boston or one of the other bigger markets in the league. 31 goals, 75 assists. He has 106 points. Patrick Kane, the next closest at 94, and then Connor McDavid. So two and three aren't on a playoff team. And then you got Kucherov there. Uh, but you scroll down. Braden Point is ninth in league scoring with 80 points. Steven Samko says 77. This is a very good team. But really, it's it's definitely Nikita Kucherov. What makes him such a good player? He He's so driven. Uh, he, this is a guy who a couple of years ago had synthetic ice put into his garage down here in Tampa so he could work on a shot all summer. He spent so much time that summer just working on his shot. He's such a perfectionist. And the way he's a deceptive player because he can give you one thing. And, you know, if you think back to the no-shot goal that he had against um, Robin Leonard last year against Buffalo, he mm-hmm. pulled it off against Braden Holtby, Holtby in the All-Star game. He did it again to Braden Holtby in a game. Uh, you know, he's, he's so deceptive with those type of moves. Uh, he did it to Craig Anderson the other night in Ottawa. He, he just sent a quick wrist shot all the way from – uh, basically the the wall on the left circle there, and Craig Anderson had no idea it was coming. He can do some of that stuff, but he's also a, a very underrated passer. He's really added that part to his game this year. The 75 assists to this point show it. He's the first player since Hedrick Sabine to do so in 2010-2011 to reach 75 assists in a season, and we still got 16 games to go for them. And the way that he sees the ice, like they get the number one power play in the league, and you think Steven Stamkos – Nikita Kucherov is a guy who drives that power play. He runs everything basically off the half wall at the right circle. You got Victor Hedman at the point, but everything goes through Nikita Kucherov. He sees his on-ice vision is so good that he sees plays even more before the recipient in the past knows that they've developed, and, and that's kind of where he can excel, and, and that's where his offensive game comes from. The game that Tampa Bay played in Winnipeg in December, was that the most entertaining game you've seen all season? That has to be up there. Um, you know, there's been a few that, that Tampa Bay has played this year. They had a one nothing game in the against Colorado earlier in the year when that top line for the Avalanche was playing really well. Uh, that was a very entertaining game. But in, in terms of the back and forth uh, that those two teams put on back in December, that was a lot of fun to watch. And um, I, I don't know if we're going to get that tomorrow night. Uh, I think both teams want to maybe tighten up defensively as we start to get uh, an eye on April here in the playoffs. But, yeah, that was a that game was so much fun to watch. There was so much speed, so much skill in that game. I think these are the two deepest rosters from top to bottom in the league, and uh, I don't think anybody would be surprised if they end up beating each other in June. 
It was a 5-4 overtime win for the Jets on the 16th of December. Before I let you go, what is your, I guess, scouting report of this Winnipeg Jets team? Uh, well, exactly that, and I know they're, they're still missing Dustin Bufflin, so that's a big uh, presence that they're missing on the back end. But uh, just they've got they've got a very good combination of size and skill. You know, you think of Nikolai Ehlers and Blake Wheeler coming off the four-goal game the other night, and Patrick Laine, even though he hasn't necessarily had a Patrick Laine season this year. You know, then you think of the big bodies I have with Tyler Myers, and you know, you got Connor Hellebuck in goal. I mean, this is two Vezina finalists we're going to see uh, tomorrow night with Andre Vasilevsky in net. Uh, again, I it just I just love the way that they have constructed the roster there uh, in Winnipeg. It's there's so much um, variety. You can't one person. Uh, you, you know, it's not a one-line team. It's it, they're so deep. Uh, I, I think in terms of roster size, I think they're the only team in the league that can match Tampa Bay's depth at all areas, and that's why I think it's going to be a fun game. All right, I appreciate your time, and we'll enjoy that game watching it tomorrow. All right, thanks, Christian. Have a good night. Now, if you missed it last night's the hockey world learned of the passing, I guess this morning of former Detroit Red Wings great Ted Lindsay, who died overnight at the age of 93. CJOE Sports Director Kelly Moore earlier today spoke with Windsor Star hockey writer Bob Duff, who wrote the 2008 Ted Lindsay biography, Seven, a salute to Ted Lindsay. Bob, obviously you would be the recognized uh, person uh, to speak to on everything Ted Lindsay. Uh, you wrote that fantastic book on him when he passed away today or overnight rather as much as it was inevitable it it still has to be a very very sad day for the sport of hockey yeah when you take into all he gave to the game i mean you you have to go beyond what he accomplished on the ice to encompass all that Lindsay did for hockey and i i think some of the veteran players even today strive to make sure the younger players understand the the role Lindsay played in uh, players' rights and forming the original NHLPA and getting you know them on a level playing field with management. And he literally put his career on the line to make it happen, and those guys are reaping the benefits of his original efforts. Give us a little bit of the history of how the Players' Union came about, why uh, and, and what Ted had to do to make that happen back in the late 50s, because back then i mean there was no such thing as salary disclosure or uh even players rights i mean uh, it, it really was a, a draconian workplace back then yeah basically i mean unless you were a superstar like a Lindsay or a gordy howard or a rocket richard you know when you got to be into your late 20s odds are you were probably going to be sent to the minors and be replaced by a younger player who could work cheaper because it, there were only 16 so there was basically 120 jobs so the guys on the bottom rung of the ladder, you know, wouldn't be that much better than the guy playing at the top of the heap in the minor league. So they could be replaced very easily. And they really had no bargaining power to fight against it. So Lindsay's objective, I think, was partially to get those guys a few more rights. You know, they wanted to get things like waivers brought in. So if a player wasn't going to play in one city, he wouldn't be held prisoner basically by a franchise for the rest of his career and he could have an escape to try to make it somewhere else and they wanted to get them benefits and you know certainly health and dental and things like that were pretty vital for hockey players and you know and you think that uh, beyond their 30s they weren't going to play much longer and they certainly weren't 
making the kind of money they make today where they were set for life. They needed to have a career to go to when hockey was done. So all those kind of issues were really the driving force between for the uh, advent of the Players Association. And as you chronicled in your salute to Ted Lindsay, Title Seven, he had to endure some hardships to do what he believed in, including getting traded from a, a team that was a, a powerhouse to a team that was the dregs of the league at the time. Yeah, if you look at the guys who were kind of the ringleaders of the NHLPA, you know, Lindsay, you know, Jim Thompson, and Gus Mortson in Toronto, uh, pretty much any of them ended up in Chicago because Chicago is considered Siberia, the NHL. They never made the playoffs. They really didn't draw that well in those days, and it was really the last place you wanted to play in the 1950s, and that was where the they sent these guys as kind of their punishment. We're going to make you go play for the Blackhawks. And uh, in retrospect, they probably helped the Blackhawks win the Stanley Cup in 1961 because in the late 50s, they traded them all these veteran players. And you had guys like Stan McKee and Bobby Hall coming into Chicago from junior then. So they had a veteran core of some of the best players in the NHL to teach them how to play. But the thing that I think we, we tend to overlook, Bob, because of Ted's historical impact in the game, you know, with respect to the formation of the union, is that this guy was a tremendous, tremendous hockey player. Yeah, I mean, he didn't play a single second in the minor leagues, and, you know, there's very few players in the 16 NHL who can say that. He jumped right from junior hockey at the age of 19 into the NHL and stayed there. And uh, you know that was almost unheard of. Even Gordy Howe didn't do that. You know, he played a year in the minors before he made it in the NHL. So to be able to do that at, as a teenager in the six-team league, you had to be one heck of a hockey player. Bob Duff, who is the author of Seven, a salute to Ted Lindsay, is joining us. Ted Lindsay passed away overnight at the age of 93. And, Bob, at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that, uh, you know, it's important for the players of today, especially, and, and players going forward, to understand who it was that provided them with this great opportunity they have. So I think that's why it makes it even more important that the NHLPA gives, it, it renamed the Ted Lindsay Award back in 2010 to honor their version of the MVP. Yeah, that was the, certainly the, the sole intent of the renaming of the award to recognize his contribution and he is really the you know in essence the father of the nhlpa he's the guy that uh, you know like as a, with any birth of any union the guys the people who are the initiators of it are going to take the brunt of the punishment for trying to change the way things are and i think that exactly that's why i know chris chelios is very big in uh, making sure younger players understand what Ted Lindsay did for them. Just before we let you go, Bob, and I know you are in demand today, so we really appreciate this, but uh, was there at any portion where you were writing the book and discussing some of the content with Ted that uh, he gave you the stinky eyeball? No, he actually is he's one of the most forthright and honest and down-to-earth people you'll ever meet. It's, um, he's kind of been the unofficial Red Wings ambassador for Basically, since he stopped playing, he's and was an ever present in the dressing room right up until his last couple of years when his health started to fail him. And uh, 
he would, I can remember him walking over and welcoming Dylan Larkin to the dressing room the first time he came in with the wings when they were just doing informal skates in the fall. But that's who he was. I mean, Thomas Holmstrom told me this story about uh, his first year with the wings. He wasn't uh, playing much, so he often spent uh, game days in the weight room getting extra training in because he knew he wasn't playing that night. And there was this older fellow who'd always been there lifting weights, and he didn't really know who it was, but he said all he knew was the guy was really impressive and strong, and uh, he would work out with him, and it turned out he found out later on that was Ted Lindsay. <laughs> Coming from Sweden, he didn't have the grasp of the knowledge of the history of the Red Wings as North Americans would, so yeah. he was quite impressed. And you now that was that's who he never made a point of saying, hey, I'm Ted Lindsay. He just was there working out with Thomas Holmstrom. So that's just who he was. He was very very much humble about who he was. He never uh, carried on any airs as the legend that he was. There's just one of the many stories that you can read in Seven of Salute, the Ted Lindsay, authored by the man you just heard, uh, Bob Duff. Uh, Duffer, thanks very much for this. Uh, uh, Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. My pleasure. Kristen, back to you from the Briar in Brandon. Thank you very much. Kelly Moore with Windsor star hockey writer Bob Duff on a legend. There's not many hockey players that get a trophy named after them. And the Ted Lindsay Award, that's what the guy, the players, thinks the best player. So that is a very, very high honor for him. And again, hockey world, so many people today sharing stories online about it. If you haven't come across it, there's some great stuff. 70 rinks in 62 days, and, uh, well, it gave me a lot of content on this show, too, to talk about, but this is it. This is really the last time, although I might look, since I'm in Brandon, to see what are the outdoor rink options here. Now, I'm very busy, of course, at the Keystone Center between doing hits and all the shows and doing interviews. I don't have a ton of spare time, but I'm going to look for an outdoor rink. I brought my skates to Brandon because you never know, right? So let me read to you again the article I wrote for globalnews.cacjob.com about this whole thing. This whole thing started because I'm an idiot. I love skating outside. I spent hours on the Red River and at the Forks during my first three winters in Winnipeg, but for no apparent reason, I never once skated at any rink at a community center. They're closer to where I live. Parking is free. What's wrong with me? What? So when I finally tried the ice at River Heights in December, I thought it was awesome. A lot of people out there that day, a few days later, skated at Windsor CC. I was hooked. I needed more. Now, I normally don't do New Year's resolutions because I have the approximate willpower of a house cat staring at a bowl of milk, but 2019 would be different. I would skate on every outdoor hockey rink in Winnipeg before the end of winter. So there I was on New Year's Day, minus 25 And I seriously considered whether I should just forget this fleeting idea I casually mentioned on my radio show. It wouldn't be hard to just stay inside, bundled up in my onesie. But the thought kept eating at me. Go skating. Do it. Be a Canadian. After all, my theory on enduring winter in Winnipeg is to embrace it. So I layered up, grabbed my skates, and off I went. All three Corridan Community Center sites on day one, it was sunny. The ice was wonderful. I couldn't feel my toes. And fast forward to March 3rd, it was minus 19, way below what is normal for this time of year. And at Notre Dame Community Center, I sealed the deal. 70 rinks. So, what did I learn from zigzagging across the city in my beat-up car? Well, 
for starters, I learned that the city's public database was uh, not perfect. Listed 79 outdoor rinks. Garden City, no ice this year. St. Clair Park, there's nothing there. Silver Heights, demolished in 2015. And for some reason, Victoria is listed twice. That webpage, though, is now down as the city fixes it. I'm making change happen. I learned that there are a few things in life, few things, as satisfying as being the first to step onto a fresh sheet of ice. The sound of your blades cutting through the crisp air is like the first spoonful of peanut butter out of a new jar. And that's a feeling I got to experience quite a bit as I found that many of Winnipeg's outdoor rinks were in pristine condition. Amazing ice. Big stick tap to the folks who maintain the rinks. Out on their tractors in the cold so that random radio hosts can show up on a Wednesday morning and fall deeper in love with this city. Winnipeg, yeah, it's full of hearty souls. I discovered that it took a few tries to figure out the right clothing formula to stay warm. Warmula? But the key is not to overheat. Turtleneck, long sleeve shirt, hoodie, long johns, two pairs of track pants, scarf, a toque made in Sweden, dollar store finger gloves underneath my heavier duty gloves. But you also have to learn to accept the feeling of numb toes. Now, somebody did tell me to put cayenne pepper in my socks. I never had the courage to try it, partially because I didn't want my feet to smell too delicious. Oh, and always make sure you have fresh tissues because your nose is going to start having a mind of its own once the wind starts howling. I learned that each community club and community center has its own eccentricities. Some have these three big rinks, others have one little one, different shapes and sizes of nets, halls filled with old trophies and photos. I can only imagine the childhood memories that so many have at these spots. And, and people often ask me which rink was the best, and I can't pick one because there were so many awesome spots. But if I have to pick a few favorites, no particular order, Bronx Park, Winacqua, Westdale, Red River, Tuxedo, Bordere, Woodhaven Park, and Park City West. I discovered that skating alone is fine, and that's how I spent most of my time on this trip, but having someone along for the ride makes it a lot more fun. Colleagues like Diana Foxall, Austin Siragusa, Greg Mackling tag along, as did my friends Gary and Robin from back home in Ontario. And I also discovered the hard way that you got to double-check Maybe even triple check your surroundings when retrieving your puck from the net on a busy rink. Because if you don't, you could take a stray slap shot to the thigh from some 12-year-old who needs to learn how to aim. Not bitter. Just bruised. But if I had to pick one lasting memory, it would be January 19th at Lord Roberts. It was a truly cold day. Minus 28. Exactly 10 men arrived. I was one of them. Many didn't know each other, but we all knew what to do. Sticks in the middle time for some shitty and that may have been the most canadian experience of my life the beards were frozen i don't have a beard but their beards were frozen hands numb but it was so authentic so spontaneous i felt so at home here winnipeg it's good it's good will i do it again no not 70 but certainly i'm going to make outdoor skating a bigger part of my winter routine going forward Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes, not available on Google Podcasts, not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts yet.